Welcome to another edition of Tuscaloosa Talks. I'm honored to have Gene Poogee Poole here, a Tuscaloosa legend. But uh, Gene, before we jump in, and maybe the last time I call you Gene in this interview, you go by Poogee. All right, how'd you get that nickname? So my name is like Alfred Eugene, and my sister was older than me, and I hated that, and she and her friend came up with Poogee. So from the time I was about maybe two or three years old, um, it stuck. And, and, and when I graduated from high school, Mr. Greer was the principal, and you would have gone across, you know, as William Walter Maddox or something, and I went across as Poogee Pool. And he said, if I'd have called you Alfred Eugene, nobody would have known who you were. <laughs> so it stuck like glue. So you've had it for, oh, I didn't realize it was that long that yeah. you've carried this nickname. Yeah, some people think it's my wife's sweet name or something, but it's not. And my sister tagged me like, you know, 75 years ago. <laughs> well, and then Pooja, you, you have such a great reputation. You're, you know, the philanthropy of your family, of Hudson Pool overall, is, is legendary in our community. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later on, but... Something I do want to talk to you about more serious. You were in Israel on October 7th when Hamas, uh, Hamas launched their war against Israel. You were in the middle of it. Um, what was it like? Um, I know that's a very broad question. It's, it's the morning of October 7th. What did you experience? So, so I'm getting chills as you're talking about it. You know, we, we have many friends in uh, Tel Aviv due to the diamond business, the jewelry business. And, and so we've been talking about this trip for a year. Uh, they were absolutely uh, saying how peaceful and wonderful things were in Israel. And we were looking so forward to it, we had no clue that we would have a problem. Um, but that morning, uh, Jamie and I went down to breakfast, and uh, Emily came down and said, did y'all hear the bombs? And, and we said, what? And so then we left and went up, and we were about 35 miles from the Gaza Strip in Bethlehem at that point, and uh, we could hear them, and we could see the smoke plumes from it. So we knew you know, uh, something was going on and, uh, we hadn't, we don't had, we didn't have a Fox over there. We had a little bit of a CNN, but not much. Anyway, uh, being a military guy, I figured it was going to be a skirmish. Uh, Israelis being as good as they are would stuff it really quick and it'd yeah. be over. And then I did get some news that, uh, Hamas had shot 2000 missiles. And I thought, well, this isn't a skirmish. We actually had a, a guide that a lot of people in Tuscaloosa know the Remmert family that goes over there uses uh, George, and, and he was phenomenal. He is a, uh, uh Israeli and born and raised there and uh, speaks five or six languages. Anyway, he, he got in touch with some military and police to kind of make sure we were going to be safe, so we felt. Because you were in the West Bank at the time, right? Yeah, in Bethlehem. Okay. And that, Now, the Bethlehem, most people don't know, it's a wall city, and uh, Israel— shut it down when the war started and so we couldn't leave bethlehem and george going back to him he was able to get in contact with some military and some police and the next day on a sunday we were able to to get out of bethlehem and get into jerusalem so still we're kind of thinking well you know we're not leaving till next thursday and uh you know this is not right here on us and uh so we still tour a little bit and look at some, some great things. And, 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 and the four or five days before the war started, we had a tremendous trip. So on the Monday, we were at the Wayland Wall, which is, of course, one of the most historic sites there. And a missile went over the Wayland Wall. And uh, they herded us into some buildings and uh, made us stay in there. And a Patriot missile took that, that uh, missile out. So when we came back out of there, we were traveling with two other couples. We, we said, hey... We need to exit. So George started a plan as to what we could do. Um, 
I want to mention this. We had uh, Jamie Duffy in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Canceling and, and getting tickets and canceling and getting tickets. And uh, she did a tremendous job. So uh, George hooked us up with a shuttle to the Jordanian border, which was the closest exit. And I go back to my military days. It was an E&E &E escape and evasion. It was yeah. How can we get out of here as quickly and safely as possible? And and Jordan was it. So for that uh that Tuesday we got up bright and early and what should have been about a four hour trip to the airport in um Armand Jordan ended up being about a nine and a half hour day that was it was really rough, it was really tired. We had a hard time getting out of Israel. We had a more hard time getting into Jordan and uh I don't know why. Our American passports didn't speak a little bit more to them. I got very frustrated on both ends. Uh, it was hard for me to accept. Uh, obviously, we weren't causing any trouble. We were just trying to get out. Yeah. But anyway. Um, well, as a military man, um, and you know the horrors of war, we're coming up on Veterans Day. Well, where do you see all this ending? Mayor, I, I, I'm scared. Uh, the reason I'm scared is all these other coalitions that are going on, i.e. North Korea and Russia, China and Russia, North Korea. I mean, uh, and then you've got Iran uh, or Iran. Um, uh, a lot of those countries are kind of raising, rattling their swords and stuff. And, you know, in the back of my mind, it could easily be another World War Three or something, which just really bothers me. I don't know how. I think Israel can handle Gaza, it can handle. That's just a 14-mile strip. Um, they can they can handle that. I'm just worried about the other people playing in this, you know. And we've also got money and assets, and actually have troops in uh, um, the other war, Ukraine. Yeah. And uh, so it's really it's really frustrating to me and 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 scary. I know from. Our homeland security requirements uh, with what comes with, you know, hosting Alabama football and everything with it, it's a scary time. And, and there's a lot of uncertainty, and I think we all have to be very vigilant. And certainly if you see something, say something. Exactly. That would be the perfect thing to do. You know, it, it worries me about all these people we have coming into the United States, and, and you don't know who they are or what they are. And one of the easiest way to bring us down would be internally, and it could be small whatever and i know you have to worry about this each and every day well you, you know you've got to keep your borders safe you can't have you can't have just open borders you've got to have we've got to have a safe entry and legal entry into our country that's just part of keeping us safe and i know we're not we don't want to get down a rabbit hole so i'll pull us back because i do want to end on your service as a veteran let's talk about you as a small business owner how did you get into the jewelry business now, that's a story in itself, and I'll try to keep it really, really short. But uh, I was in the Army in the Panama Canal. <clears throat> I just had John. Uh, we just had our son, John, and uh, um, came up on leave. Uh, I had lost a brother, and we came back for his funeral. And uh, a fraternity brother of mine, Ray Thomas, had Thomas Jewelers here. Well, Ray and I played rock and roll music together in the 60s. So he said, why don't you get out of the Army and come into the jewelry business? And I said, well, I don't know anything about the jewelry business. And, so you but, had no... No, no experience. Zero. Okay. Not. Wow. So, so I get back to Panama, and I'm there for about maybe a year and uh, come down on orders for Korea. Well, I'm a southern boy, and I like warm weather. and just didn't feel like I wanted to go to Korea. So uh, I'd had about, I guess, almost six years in the Army at that point, and uh, 
Uh, I came home. Uh, we started corresponding back and forth, and Ray kind of made me an offer. So I came back home and uh, went to jeweler school, became a bench jeweler to, you know, size rings, repair rings, and that kind of thing. And then uh, went to work for him at the downtown store, and then we opened a couple other stores. We opened McFarland Mall, opened University Mall back in the day. So at one point in time, a gentleman by the name of Frank Bromberg Jr. made me an offer, and uh, probably the best mentor uh, person I ever worked for or under or with, and uh, just a tremendous guy. And uh, I worked for him for a couple of years and really enjoyed it at Mountain Brook in Birmingham. I'm really getting into this jewelry thing, and um, um, a diamond dealer out of New York wanted me to go on the road and sell diamonds. So I did Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Florida, a little bit of Tennessee, sold diamonds to jewelers. That gave me another perspective about the jewelry industry. And I uh, came home one Christmas in the store downtown where Paul Vinan used to be, and it was another store, I'm not sure what at the time, had gone out of business. So it was basically an empty store. Um, so I went in and asked the guy what he wanted for all the cases and the safe and whatever. And he made a, a number that was just ridiculous. I mean, I just wrote him a check. I said, here. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm still on the road selling diamonds, and I'm in Mobile, and a, and, and a, and a Doster McMullen calls me on the phone. Doster is working for Orrin Meredith Realty at the time. He said, Poogee, you got to get out of that stuff out of that building. I've got a renter for it. And I said, well, how much are you going to rent it for? He said, oh, about 400 a month. I said, well, tell them that you already rented it, and, and I'll be in Monday, and I'll give so I rented the building with all my stuff in it, and the rest is history. Wow. Well, today Hudson Pool, I guess, officially opened was in 1985? Yeah, April Fool's Day of 1985. Well, you, <laughs> you picked a very good day to, to start on. David Hudson Jr., who's my nephew, um, was kind of not really doing anything at the time. I think he was working a little bit for his dad or whatever. I'm still traveling on the road. So I said, well, David, I, I got a good opportunity to open this thing. So we did. And uh, we stayed together, I guess, five, six, seven, eight years, and then he went back in the business with his dad, and then I bought him out, but I've never changed the name, and and the person who named me Poogee was his mother. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, we are a mile as the crow flies from uh, DCH Regional Hospital. I know that's something, in particular, the Cancer Center, that Hudson Pool has been at the forefront of raising money for. Why is that so special to you and to Hudson Pool and your family? For my mother and my sister basically. And Gene Poole's been there. I had prostate cancer this last uh, December, January, February. And, uh, you know, um, DCH in general, number one, we need a good medical center Absolutely. in the city of Tuscaloosa. Uh, thank goodness that uh, our, our cancer center is, is superior to a lot. It's it's uh, it's really, really good. For and, a community uh, our size to have that quality of a cancer center is something we it's probably one of those things we do take for granted. Exactly. You know, you take some people around town, I mean, like the Maccabees, Tim Harrison, I, I could name a dozen people, Fred Hahn, on and on and on and on and on, that just have, have worked and, 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 and given and, and pushed, you know, to make it happen. So every year we do uh, barbecue and blue jeans, which is just a fun event, and thousand people have come out there, and every one of them has been touched by cancer one way or another. And so uh, the cancer center is near and dear to me, and... Uh, and and I'm just excited we have it. Well, you do you do more than a lot, and I'll I'll just leave it at that. We we're doing this podcast in honor of our veterans who have served our country, who have quite frankly, uh, so many have given of their lives just so that we could be free. Um, you are a veteran, and I think that you know most people know Pooji the guitar player, uh, Pooji drummer, drummer Pooji the drummer, 
uh, Puji, the, uh, the, the jewelry store, Puji, the philanthropist in our community. Um, and probably now since October 7th, no Puji is, uh, and, and Jamie is being part of, you know, being called in that awful war in Israel. But what they don't know is that you're a veteran. And so not only were you a veteran, you were special forces. How did you, how did you progress your way into the armed services and what made you choose to be in the special forces? Um, so I tried everywhere in the world to stay out of the army. Um, I graduated college December of 68 and was drafted January of 69. I think it's the only lottery I've ever won. You know, the lottery. <laughs> so uh, I went to basic training, and I wasn't in ROTC. I went to basic training. I had an accident back in college with a, a wreck, and it busted my knee up. And I figured since Joe Namath got out on his knees, I could get out on mine. <laughs> that didn't work. Okay, they took me right on. So I went to uh, to basic and AIT, and then I decided since I had a college degree, I'd go to OCS. Yeah. Also, that was keeping me out of Vietnam, the more schools I took. So, You're very honest about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Vietnam was, was really, really, it was like you're just going to, I was going to serve, but you just thought you'd fight and die and because and Vietnam was, was so horrible, and yeah. uh, as any war is, I guess. But anyway, uh, in, in OCS, my roommate was a two-tour Special Forces E-6, which was a staff sergeant. Uh, soldier had been shot up pretty much, and they said he was such a good soldier, they sent him to OCS, almost like a, a combat uh, commission. And uh, his name was John J. Lewis. And uh, the whole time I was in OCS, he said, you know, if you're going to fight and die, you might as well go Airborne Special Forces. At least you'll be with double volunteer soldiers that want to do something. Yeah. That kind of made sense to me. I understand that once I made that decision, my fraternity here at the university started wearing black armbands because they couldn't understand why I'd want to <laughs> jump out of an airplane and, <laughs> and be, be a snake eater. But um, it's the best thing I ever did. Um, it gave me a lot of confidence. It, it, it really... Uh, I thought I knew a lot about life when I got in the Army. I knew nothing, basically, and uh, really glad I did. So I enjoyed it. And and basically, I would have probably stayed in in career, but the Korea thing just bothered me a little bit. So when I got out about six years active, I went to Alabama National Guard, and then I went uh, Army Reserve, ended up uh, commanding a battalion, um, and uh, 26 and a half years, and uh, it was it was a great part of my life. Thank you for your service. Thank you. It means more than you know. And we're here, I mean, we're here in this park that it's one of the great assets Para uh, maintains and operates. Uh, I don't know if we'd be here if it wasn't for people like Leroy McAbee. It's, it's right. That that uh, you mentioned earlier. And you've got names that are engraved uh, of those in our community who have served. Um, as a veteran, what Lee is, Hallman. There's, there's oh, a lot yeah. of them that just at uh, Jerry Belk. There's a lot of them that really oh, yeah, Jerry, made yeah. this thing happen. And uh, what a great thing. Well, what, to describe, you know, the majority of us, like me, never served. Um, describe what Veterans Day means to you as a veteran. Well, I got to think back. My uncle, well, all my uncles, uh, everybody served. It just, you know, World War II, you could walk, you got to go. And um, so uh, it, it really struck home to me when I was in Normandy and I got to go to my uncle's grave in Normandy. And, I, and I'm sitting there looking. Uh, and looking at the thousands of people that we left over there in Europe. And what that means to me is that, that some very unselfish folks that will give themselves, give up, and do everything to protect the United States. And I hope we don't get too far beyond that. You know, with all this stuff going on right now with the Palestinians and the Jewish and the bada bada, I just I worry that uh, we're getting away from 
this this land is for everybody, uh, and we need to protect it, and we need to keep it uh, free and democratic. Well, I know right now that the tone and tenor of our political discourse can often seem harsh, but thank God we live in a country where we can have that tone and disagreement, and at the end of the day, you're free, and you're free to speak it. And we wouldn't have that if it wasn't for the millions, I guess tens of millions of people who have served this great country. And on behalf of the city, thank you for your service. I know you try to diminish it, but to all of us that have lived under the very freedom that you you and, and tens of millions of others that have provided through the armed forces of the United States, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. And I would encourage anyone who's interested into uh, making certain that this park continues to serve uh, and celebrate the legacy of those that have served in, in the armed forces that are from here in Tuscaloosa County, please contact PARA. This has been another edition of Tuscaloosa Talks. Thank you.